Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Ariane Goldman. She is the founder of Hatch and Two Birds and a dear friend of mine. I wore her clothes all throughout my third pregnancy. And man, when you're pregnant and fat and you can't fit into anything, these clothes just make you feel damn good. So we talked about that, how she started her company and how she has remained really a true visionary in this line of maternity wear that I still wear. Take a listen. So I have the lovely Ariane who founded Hatch, um, and I don't remember how we met, um, maybe because I just kept coming to your store and shopping post, pre, during, and pregnancy. <laughs> but I would love to start about a little bit about you, w- your background, what inspired you to start such an incredible brand, well, two brands, really. Yeah. Um, so went to undergraduate business school, knew I kind of wanted to get my hands dirty in business with all... I always had kind of a fashion perspective on things, but really studied business. Uh, got an internship um, on Wall Street and spent eight years kind of climbing the corporate ladder, uh, realizing that I was growing in a way of managing people, but not necessarily continuing to create, and fell in love with a creative guy who inspired me to kind of um, go for my passion and find something that really inspired me. And so I started my first brand called Two Birds Bridesmaid, which was a bridesmaid's dress company based on a void I saw when I was getting married of women out in the marketplace who were spending money and hating the dresses that their friends were making them wear for their weddings. Um, I have that story. Yeah, I think a lot of us do. So I was experiencing it myself, and so I really wanted to solve that problem. Got on the Martha Stewart show, and the rest is history. So wait, I want to go back. How did you start a company not having like typical fashion training and then have it be such a hit that you got on that show and then... Yeah, I'm making it sound a little easier than it was. (laughs) Um, I had a vintage Norma Kamali dress that wrapped in all these different ways. And I figured all of my bridesmaids had different body types, bigger boobs, bigger tushes. And I wanted them to all look uh, consistent, but have their own individual style so that they wouldn't hate me and they'd feel beautiful in themselves at the wedding. And so I took this vintage dress while I still had my corporate job um, to the garment district and worked with a pattern maker to find fabric that really worked and made the dresses for my wedding. And it was a huge success, which gave me the courage when I got back to kind of have, have a side hustle and start this business. Um, it's then that I got on the Martha Stewart show through one of my brides that I was servicing. And once um, that show aired, it was just a huge success. And I quit um, I quit my job to kind of wholeheartedly go after this. Don't you miss the days where you could be on one show and that would be it? And then you had a hit? Like I had one Daily Candy email and that launched me. And today it's like you have to... Well, those don't exist anymore. The I Daily know. Candies don't... Those sweet spots of just everybody Oprah. knowing your name. Yeah. They're not... They're so much harder to get because social media and totally. all the, everything going on out there. But I was really lucky. So that gave me the courage and the push. Um, and I kind of hustled this dress to any English-speaking country that had bridesmaid dresses to be the first mover because you can't really patent fashion. Um, and I opened in Australia, London, Toronto, New York, and L.A., and really pursued this for the first uh, five years after my marriage. And then I got pregnant. And then it changed? Well, I got pregnant, and there I was again in a life moment that nobody was speaking to me. I was excited. I was hormonal. I was uh, lonely. And I was looking for a brand or a friend out there that knew what I was about to embark on. And I was just blown away that nobody was addressing the fact that here I am, a woman with money to spend, um, free time on my hands to you know search the internet while my friends are having martinis, and nobody was servicing me. And so that light bulb went off again. 
And so did you at that point, knowing that you were going to be designing uh, maternity clothes, did you already have the idea that you wanted these to be clothing that lasted after, like post-pregnancy? Yeah. So during my pregnancy, I was wearing a lot of pieces, mumus, my mother's dresses, vintage pieces, and I was getting stopped on the street just for fashion. And it was stuff that wasn't maternity. The the pieces out in the marketplace that are maternity um, still are and were um, just not modern and making me feel any better about myself. Um, and so I realized, well, why don't I just take some of these great silhouettes and talk to women who are pregnant and give them an option that makes them feel better. But they can wear it again either before the baby or after the baby and invest in something that doesn't have to be thrown out. That was really the idea of Hatch. Um, and so I launched Hatch with 12 key pieces that I thought every woman needs to kind of just get through her day, but also smile and feel good. How many people and what sort of skill sets did you need in order to launch that? That would be maybe different than Two Birds. So Two Birds was very customer service driven where um, women were coming in to try on the, the clothing. They would pay up front. I had 12 weeks to deliver. and oh, that's um, great. That yeah, was amazing. <laughs> no inventory. Hatch, oh. yeah, the days. Um, Hatch was a different beast. I started direct-to-consumer online where I had to buy into inventory. And I really started on my own. I didn't hire anyone. Um, yeah. I lent myself um, some money from Two Birds. And um, I just kind of built this thing. I had one person who kind of spread between both companies to support me, but very quickly, well, not very quickly, it didn't take off right away, which was kind of interesting. Can you tell me about that? Because sometimes even I am like, oh, this new thing's going to happen. And it's going to be great. And then it doesn't, or it takes a lot longer. Yeah. The concept of you build it and they will come was something that I definitely believed in, but was humbled by the fact that they didn't come right away. So I built this beautiful website um, and just assumed that these women were waiting for it and didn't realize that without the dollars to market it, um, or the press just yet at the beginning, how would people know about it? So the first four months were pretty tough because um, I would get like one transaction a day or two two a day. And that's lovely, but, you know, that doesn't keep the lights so on. So stressful. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't validate your husband why you blew your savings on something. <laughs> um, and then finally, lo and behold, when I, we were in India, actually, and I looked at my husband and I said, I really think I made a mistake, babe. I, I think... I shouldn't have done this. And I shit you not that the next day the New York um, Times style writer called and said she wanted to write an article about Hatch in the New York Times Sunday section. Wow. And as you probably know, the Times isn't a revenue driver, but it's certainly a credibility giver. So when that hit, um, the wheel started turning and it was the beginning of what is now a beautiful thing. Wow. And have you since, does Two Birds still exist? It does. It's my little baby. Um, it's the little engine that could. You know, it's really amazing as an entrepreneur. It's it's just a beautiful business. And um, it's okay. I've learned it's okay not to need to take it, you know, to the top and, you know, drive something so big and just enjoy the fact that it's profitable. It makes women happy. I have a team of three people who run it and we're doing something great, but I'm not forcing this to be any bigger than it needs to be. And it's just my little baby in the office. We're one big happy family, but there's definitely um, a line drawn where it's, you know, there's two different companies going on. Totally. So let's talk about Hatch because in the last few months, um, you've had some incredible, incredible expansions, changes. You want to go in order? Uh, well, I'll tell you that. So I started Hatch eight years ago when Charlie, my daughter, was in my belly, um, in my mind. And then when she when she was born, I was um, more inspired than ever. So rather than staying home with her, I brought her with me and just I was just 
eager to go, go, go. It's funny how different things impact different women, you know, in different ways. And um, with Charlie, I was just inspired. So started Hatch and started hiring people as I needed them and chose specific partnerships out in the marketplace that would help me gain awareness because I didn't have the dollars to necessarily buy, you know, those customers. So Net-A-Porter and shop up and like use them to get out to the world. And then as it started to get bigger and bigger, um, one of the biggest things that I've done um, that benefited this kind of this build was hire a COO, knowing that I needed help. Um, you know, as things get bigger, you just can't be everywhere at the same time. And hiring someone who could take off my plate some of the things that aren't my favorite areas, like finance and operations, allowing me to be creative was a huge, huge step for me to um, think clearly and take the company to the next level. So do you think that having... Uh, such a strong business background being that you were on Wall Street, that it was just easier to run and start a business. Like speaking of someone who was creative and had to learn that, you know, seven years in really focus and on those skills that it gave you an edge over maybe others who like me, like had the creative and thank God I had my brother, but I wouldn't have been able to do it without it. I'm not sure. I mean, I think I knew a lot of acronyms and I could talk the talk, um, But I think starting your own business is a whole new language, and it's really the business school of life that kind of trains you to do this. And there's not really good training out there for um, the hustle and the strength required to kind of see an idea through. So I'm learning as I'm going, and I'm I'm continuing to learn as I go. But, of course, you know, the books and the P&Ls and all that, it was nice to kind of recognize them. Mm -hmm. But, again, so many of the things that um, I've encountered were brand new just because you're managing 360 of every possible decision, um, both creatively and financially, of taking an idea to life and and making both customers happy on the front end, but employees happy from the inside. So who do you turn to um, when you need to talk to someone else? Is it like, who are your people? So I have a senior team. So internally for my, uh, for the brand, I have a senior team where we bounce ideas off of and we make sure that we're aligned so that I can give them the autonomy to keep going where I don't have to check in all the time. But uh, two years ago, I started investing in a CEO coach. That's really my therapist. I'm not allowed to talk about my kids or my husband. Um, it's really about talking about the growth of the brand, the day-to-day the, the you know, issues I face. She knows everybody in the organization. She knows their personalities based on what I tell them. And she's just my, she's just my sounding board. And wow. it's been tremendously, tremendously helpful to have someone to talk to. Because very often when you don't have a partner, it could be quite lonely. Yep. And I found myself really lonely often because I also don't want to take it home with me. My kids don't want to see it. My husband is supportive, but he doesn't want to hear it at dinner. Yep, totally. I'll I'll never forget my husband was asking me why I don't talk to him about stuff. or And then he was trying to talk to me and I was like, can we just keep this not at home? And he was like, but this is important. I was like, do you care about what leather I chose or (laughs) the color of the zipper? Like, let's just leave it, you know? Yeah, that's cool. What each other does, but like, the drama can stay out of it. Separate it. Try at least. Yeah. So you recently had a huge, well, it was, I thought it was huge. I'm sure you did too. When Meghan Markle wore your dress. I mean. And more. I can mean. Can we just talk about that moment? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Because it was <laughs> the greatest accomplishment. When you build a brand from nothing, from scratch, from an idea, and then all of a sudden, you know, royalty is wearing your dress. Um, it was just just one of those moments that you dream about. And it's so hard to describe in in words, but it was really just a beautiful culmination of all 
all the love and heartache and sweat and tears that have gone into this um, and just a team contribution of what we've put out there actually made it to the top, which is just so cool. Yeah. And were you surprised or you knew she had had the pieces in her possession? It was just a matter of when. No idea. I had no idea. Um, you know, you can't gift the royal family. So either her stylist got it for her or I'm not really sure how it got into her hands. Um, you just try and build a brand that is credible enough out there where her stylist would want to pull it. Right. So um, that was a really awesome recognition for us. And I woke up uh, and a bunch of my friends from London because I'd hit there about six or seven hours earlier because of the time difference, had been calling me and emailing me being like, holy shit, this happened. Megan's in Hatch. And it was just the Ugh. most amazing, amazing moment. Wow. Yeah. And so what happened af as a result of that? In all honesty, I mean, the usual things happen. You know, traffic booms. We sold out of the dress pretty quickly. We've sold out of it, you know, several times thereafter. The global press that comes from Meghan Markle wearing your pieces um, is just you can't, you literally cannot pay for it between the Daily Mail and People magazine and, you know, just these headlines that you get. Um, it's just remarkable. So it's amazing. So the residuals of her, you know, wearing hatch have been enormous. Um, you know, business and traffic, they go back to usual after a while, but there's this badge of honor now that Hatch totally. has that's just so amazing. Ugh. And now press opportunities are opening up because we can be, you know, called Meghan Markle's favorite maternity brand of choice or however we want to spin it. But it's, you know, it's cool. That's awesome. It's really cool. And you have two stores. Two stores, Bleecker Street in New York City and then Brentwood in California and Los Angeles. What was it like to open up the stores? Uh, it was awesome. You know, I'm I'm creative. I've, I've realized as I'm getting older and, and kind of taking Hatch bigger and bigger that I like to be inspired on the creative side of things. And so building out a three-dimensional experience of what we've created online has been an incredible exertion of um, everything that I am. The touch, the feel, the smell, um, the color, everything is in there. They're, they're like these mini art projects. And so it's funny because at the beginning of this year, I thought we'd roll out six to eight stores in the next two years, but they take so much out of me because they're so personal that I've had to chill out a little bit and step back and just be like, I can't possibly, these are my babies and I can't just turn these out like they don't matter. They do. So picking the right walls for it, the right space, making sure that it feels like uh, someone's inviting you into your home. It's incredibly important to me. So uh, it's just been awesome on so many levels. So building the store physically has been a beautiful experience, but also what we're doing in the store has taken Hatch to the next level in terms of what the brand means to people out there. So you also recently, and I don't know how how it was part of your business strategy, but did a bunch of pop-ins at Nordstrom. Can you explain what a pop-in is, why you chose to partner with a retailer since you have such a strong direct-to-consumer yeah. relationship? I feel really fortunate. So Olivia Kim is the fashion director at Nordstrom. Um, I've always been a fan of her. She started opening ceremony, and then the Nordstrom brothers um, brought her out to Seattle to make Nordstrom cool. Um, or that's kind of what I, I how I see it. Um, and what Olivia does now is she chooses a direct to consumer brand every four to five weeks and rotates them out of nine of their locations um, and rebuilds that brand's authentic experience within the Nordstrom walls. And so um, I was connected with her a couple of months ago, and she had just had a baby, and so she was a huge fan of Hatch, which was really exciting to hear. And we were just um, really enjoying each other and talking about all the potential opportunities. And we, she asked if we would do um, the pop-in for May um, around Mother's Day. And it was just such a beautiful, beautiful invitation to kind of be part of what they do, because I think they're leaders in the field, and they're, you know, they're, they're actually growing with 
modern retail um, and setting examples. And to be in those stores has been incredible. It just ended last week. And so was it good? Oh, so fun. They they literally rebuilt my stores. So wow. all the detail I put into my locations, from the checkerboard floors to the cravings bar where you can get candy, you know, if you're hungry, um, they reenacted those in each location, which was just such an amazing experience to bring the hatch experience to my customers in different cities. So I love what you've done in addition to your stores. You have the Cravings Bar, but then you have these incredible events. What made you decide you wanted to educate pregnant women, their their partners, and go down that road as a different offering than traditional retail? Yeah, you know, it makes sense to change things up and to not just sell stuff. But with Hatch, I never in my wildest imagination thought that we'd be able to be such a good friend to our community. And so in both locations, we are now hosting two events a week where we're bringing in doulas and prenatal experts, and um, we're having book signings, and we're bringing in our community to have discussions around miscarriages and allowing women to really unite under the hatch roof with no intention of selling them anything. Um, I really don't really want them to walk out with a shopping bag. I want them to walk out feeling connected and supported and, um, and smiling. And and on both coasts, we're doing this. And it's just been so valuable because it's paying it forward with women bringing other women into our community. Um, And then, you know, the good stuff is that we do have wonderful solution products that make this easier for them. So that comes later. But all of a sudden now Hatch is about uniting women, which is way more richer than I ever imagined the company to, you know, I only wanted to sell stuff at the beginning and now I want to be way more. I think that happens as we get older. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) We need each other more. And, you know, it's just, uh, it feels safe, especially with what's going on in the world right now. I just, I want Hatch to, you know, to feel like you can say anything and make your own decisions, um, you know, and be you, but not be alone. Totally. So I quote you a lot when you said motherhood is, uh, I think you were, we were on a panel together. You were asked the balance question and you said, it's a beautiful hustle. I say it all the time. (laughs) Uh, talk to me about that. You now have two kids and you obviously have a business that's talking about motherhood and, you know, catering to that. So what is that like running a business, kids, all that? Uh, it's intense. It's a, it's immense. Um, it's big, but it's really beautiful. And I feel really, really grateful that, um, I can get up and go to the office in the morning and create something, um, and still be inspired every day. I battle guilt constantly, um, especially as my girls get older. I think they're finally recognizing that mommy works and they're okay with it. And I think, you know, when I go to their classrooms and they're talking about being a leader or a boss or starting their own company, I got to imagine that all those times I couldn't be there, you know, it's the example that I'm trying to set for them is now kind of sitting in. So that makes me feel a little bit less guilty. Uh, I, I, I struggle with time, time to be a good leader, time to be a good mom, a good wife, and then time for myself. Um, often I take kind of the last seat in that. And you just realize that, especially as we're getting older, I need to refuel and kind of make sure that I have enough in me to give everybody else. And so um, while I feel grateful and um, I I hope I'm doing a good job with the kids, it's big. It's a big bed that we made for ourselves. (laughs) So what do you do to refuel when you do take that time and try and not have the guilt like we all struggle with? I have to get out of the city on weekends um, for my own kind of namaste. I need to breathe. Um, Sometimes I feel a little trapped in the city with the kids. So having the opportunity to just drive and just see green. Um, And I like to travel. I like to see other cultures and see, you know, realize how small we all are um, and not take things too, too seriously because the world is so big and it's so beautiful. So I try and get away with Max um, 
so we can we can re-inspire our marriage, but also um, personally, I can kind of get in touch with other cultures. So how often do you go away and where is your favorite place that you've been? Mm, great question. I loved India. I love South Africa. Um, but funny enough, my husband and I both, our families would travel a lot to the south of France when we were both children. So when we met each other, it was kind of this common ground. Um, and we're going back this summer with the kids, which I'm really excited about. There's something about the air there that just makes me swoon. Ah, I love the south of France. You recently announced that you took an investment. Yes, I raised money. (laughs) (laughs) Full-time job, by the way. Oh, people underestimate how much time it takes to do that. Yeah. But yes, it is a full-time job. So what made you decide you needed to raise? Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, you know, the company is growing really beautifully. And um, it just was clear to me that um, in opening the first store and doing very well the first year, um, that more of this is possible. And um, it's okay to take risks and place some bets that aren't always necessarily um proven just yet. And so uh, raising a little money to help us fuel to the next level is kind of, uh, was our approach. And we started about seven months ago thinking about how much we needed working backwards from 2022, you know, of what revenue we wanted to hit and how, what it would take to get there. Um, and then we started conversations. And when I said we, it was with the help of um, my COO, Lindsay, who really I have to thank for being on my side because I couldn't do this alone. I had gone out to raise money when I was pregnant with my second daughter, Georgie, um, and it was just too much for me. So, um, you know, I'm really grateful. And, and I knew that this time out, being very serious about the raise, I needed the help and the support of someone who was going to balance the meetings, the presentation, the finances, and can help bounce a lot of those questions back that were being thrown at me. And so because you knew that you are you have a demographic that uh, is probably hard for most white men to understand, did you specifically pick... Uh, women VCs, or did you just cut a wide swath and say, we're going to educate these men on on our business? Uh, Or maybe you didn't need to. You know, I really didn't set out in either direction. I just wanted to talk to anyone who would listen. Um, And very quickly, it's so clear on the other side of the table what people want. There was just such a variety of of money out there. Not that they were handing it to me, but like, we also have a choice in this matter of what kind of partner we want. Um, And there were people that kind of said no off the bat because I didn't want to grow the business five times in a year, which to me is silly because who wants to crash and burn? And that's just not the kind of growth that I'm looking for. I will say, ironically, that a lot of the women firms weren't as into it as a lot of the the male firms. And we ended up going with a wonderful firm led by three men. Wow. Yeah, it was really fascinating to me. That's shocking. I know. It was shocking <laughs> to me, too, because who else understands the fight that we fight, both right. personally and, you know, just just in this game that we're all playing? It, it was really remarkable to me. Um, but, you know, maternity as the category is a tough one. Right. The lifetime value is shorter, and a lot of people have to understand, like, what the big win is. Um, but for some people, it's a lot clearer, like it is for me, that, you know, providing and being a friend to people during this moment um, that, you know, it's limitless what we can do, not only from a dollar standpoint, but from a connection standpoint. Um, and so uh, we found the right partners, which I'm really excited about. And so how did you, what were some of the things you knew to look for in, in this partner, aside from them getting, understanding your mission? But I, I often say that finding a partner is like the contract is um, longer and more intense than a marriage one mm-hmm. and harder to get out of than a divorce. So how did you, what did you look for? So we just we just closed um, like two weeks ago. So I don't know how it, it, I'm very optimistic and hopeful. So 
hopefully, you know, I, I don't know anything yet of any mistakes I've, I've made. But when I was looking for a partner, um, I really, it wasn't just about a Rolodex and introductions, which were a lot of people I met who, you know, the strength of their portfolio is just, it's kind of like, uh, the cool kids on the block. I was looking, I'm looking for people who are going to get into our business and be tough on me and my team and ask us really tough questions so that we can make sure that we're building a strong, strong business from the inside. Um, and so critical people, but ones that also allow me to, you know, I have a playbook of, you know, 10 pages of things I haven't gotten to. And I, I want to make those choices on my own. So people that trust me to, to do this, um, but I can also lean on for support and double checking and making sure that, uh, you know, if I am taking a risk that we can talk to people who have done similar things to see if they've fallen or how, or how to avoid some of those roadblocks. So what are some of the lessons you've learned in the, how long has it been since you? So Hatch is eight years old. Two Birds is now, I think, 12 years. So I've been doing this for about 12 years now. Okay. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned that maybe surprised you? How important uh, your instinct is. I think that there have been many times I've talked myself out of certain decisions and then in retrospect realized that I was, my gut was kind of the right, the right instinct the whole time. Yep. And I think wisdom and just maturity helps you trust it a little bit more. But for those out there who are wavering, go with your gut for sure. I think my investment in people, I, I adore people. I fall in love with them and trust them and believe in them. And I think business is tough and the world out there, everybody's has to do what's best for themselves and their family, which I totally understand as a friend and, and a leader. So I try not to rely too heavily personally on other people because the winds change and people have different expectations in their life that might not align with what I need from them. So not being too dependent on others is something I'm trying to kind of, uh, to, to brace and, and embrace. That's a hard one. I used to take, I used to take it so personally and now I almost feel like sometimes I'm numb to it, Yeah. but that was the only way that I could survive. It was like, just to be numb, you know, yeah, when that, they leave you, you're just like, ah, I don't care. It happened Even last you, week. It's <laughs> the <laughs> so worst. So what would people be surprised to know about you? Um, so funny enough, I had my own business when I was nine um, and I was on the cover of the business section as an entrepreneur <laughs> at nine. So I guess I've always had this inside track of wanting to create things and bring it and sell them. What know. was the business? They've since been kind of um, done on a larger scale, but safety pin bracelets. Oh, wow. And I sold them to Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's. And at the time in 1987, they retailed for $40, which was a lot of money back then for a bracelet. So there's now kits and whatnot. But at the time, and I would take a little black velvet case and I would walk down Madison Avenue and I would sell individually into Zittimer and like all of these boutiques. And your mom or dad came with you? Yeah, like they who? would wait outside oh, and my. I would ask to speak to the buyer. That is so ballsy. It was really ballsy, but it was amazing. I can't imagine what my friends were thinking. I don't remember. I don't remember what like my peers were doing, but right. I was walking down Madison Avenue selling my stuff. <laughs> I love it. Incredible. That's so, awesome. um, yeah, and then I hit puberty and, and got braces and and then I needed to focus on homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, braces. Oh, braces. So tell me about what you feel like some of your bigger or more, I guess, the struggle that sticks with you the most in being an entrepreneur, founder, launching two companies, mom. Yeah. Well, there's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you have? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think as I stopped to reflect a little bit on the journey of Hatch, you know, I started with an idea as an entrepreneur and someone creative trying to make something out of out of nothing really, just an idea. And it's evolved into something really, um, 
literally beautiful and amazing and physical. But, you know, I am now the CEO of this company and I don't necessarily, I didn't set out necessarily to be a CEO. And so growing into, you know, what it means to be a good leader is something that has been a challenge, but a really wonderful one because I owe it to my team and I want to look in the mirror and feel like I'm evolving into that leader that makes a difference for people, that inspires people. And I'm not there yet, but um, figuring out how to deal with the stress and the day-to-day of bottles coming in shattered or factories, you know, having theft, you know, the day-to-day stuff that happens that nobody sees trying to stay high and empower your team and lead. It's such a different skill set and talent. And so trying to balance those and figure that out um, is an ongoing challenge that I'm in right now. Totally. But I feel like what's what I sense from you all the time is that there's a level of gratitude that never goes away. Whereas I feel like sometimes I'm more volatile and I'm like not grateful at all and angry or you know, like how have you kept that gratitude or trained yourself to feel that? It's true. I mean, very personally, I think when I was a child, um, my father, you know, very honestly, you know, lost our money in the stock market and we went from having a lot to a little. And that just made me realize how material things are not necessarily what matters. And the worst thing that probably happened to him was the best thing that happened to me. And now I really do feel grateful because I'm building something that's only plus. Even though I, you know, fall, you know, down here and there, I'm walking forward. Um, and so that gratitude is authentic. And, you know, I think the challenge is how do you teach that to your children, that gratitude constantly? Because now I spoil, you know, <laughs> I spoil them run. So I, f- I began to take that approach when I thought for a minute, there was a couple of years ago where it looked like we were going to lose everything. And then I was like, but the bank can't take my children. So I'm good. And once I had that level of like, we'll have nothing and that's fine. We'll start over. But oh, but I have my family. Then I was like, oh, anything can happen now and we'll be good. Except nothing can happen to my children. And you're rich. Like you're rich with your kids. Yeah. Right. Like what could be richer than that? Totally. Um, and that fundamentally is the value. So being connected with that, I think is, is, uh, is golden. Totally. Thank you. Thank you. That was Ariane Goldman, the founder of Hatch. To keep up with her, you can follow her at Hatch Maternity. Thanks for listening.